at Grace Point Church, changes abound right now uh, around here. If you haven't noticed, uh, we're even making it harder for you to get into the building. Uh, so everything we can do, uh, we're moving forward and upward for the uh, for the uh, opening of the new new campus expansion. But with that also comes a remodel over here. And so the remodel is starting this week and. Things are just changing. So just bear with us for the next six, seven weeks as we'll be moving things around. You'll come in here probably each week and notice things that are different around here. But not only that, we have a kind of a sad change to announce to you. Uh, we're actually uh, we're losing one of our staff members, uh, Diane Higgins, who's been our associate uh, pastor for children for the past two years, is actually filling a call to a new ministry and to a new work. And so be praying for her, she and Dick as they move on to that new venture in their life. And you'll see uh, Diane around this Sunday, so hug her neck. She's been loving on your kids for the past couple of years and teaching them and so uh, investing in them. So be sure and and stop and say uh, say hello or goodbye or see you later or, or thank you for her time of service uh, with us. And be praying for us as we move into the future, finding that right person for that position uh, to replace her and big shoes to fill there. Uh, but also you might notice there are grade school children elementary in here, uh, in, in here today because the remodel has already started. Next door in this area where the, the children typically hang out, uh, the, the trailer, the annexes are supposedly going away this week. A lot of things are going on around here, so we're having to make adjustments. The story that you just heard is a continuation of the story that they're, that they're being taught in their lessons on Sunday morning. Uh, so we're just trying to keep that theme going going for them. So they have an action pack uh, of materials that they're going to stay busy with uh, during the next few minutes while I share our continuing message series uh, with you as we study the life of prayer. And as we do all of this, let me just, just say this is a pretty important change for our for all our generations, but especially for our children. They've been crammed in a room over here uh, designed for about 45 children. That We've had over 100 in there at times. It's not been conducive. It's been very, uh, very uh, kind of uh, thrown together at times because of that. And so we're excited. In fact, kids, elementary kids, listen up. This becomes your room when mommy and daddy leaves, okay? So if you will kick us out soon, then you can have this room and we'll go to the next uh, next building next door. But this is all happening, let me just say this, because a year and a half ago, our members caught the vision, saw the vision before any spade of dirt was turned out there. And we've had this Envision campaign going and... The, the only way this happens is because our members, those who call Grace Point family and home, have been given over above their tithe to make this happen. So I want to say kudos to you guys who've been doing that. But let me say this, because I know over the course of the year and a half, we've had a number of families that have come and become a part of our family of faith. And here's my challenge for you as we talk about prayer so we talk about moving forward in prayer, taking six weeks to pray before we go in the new facility. I want you to pray about your part, what your family would be a part in Grace Point's future about moving forward with us in giving and in supporting uh, the Envision campaign. Now, what you can do, you can find out more about that. I'm not going to take any more time in our service today. But on your way out today by the student table, by the body life group section back there, 
there's a lot of information. There'll be somebody hanging out back there that knows a lot about what all the, uh, uh, the frequently asked questions are, and they can hopefully help you through some of that and how you can be a part of that. And in fact, in a couple of weeks, we're even going to allow you to be a part of that in a, a very commitment kind of ceremonial kind of way. But you just right now pray about your part and how you could be a part of the future. It's a $7 million project. Uh, we had $2 million committed, and so we're moving out in a considerable amount of faith and our people have already been stepping up to the plate in a number of ways. Some people have already fulfilled their commitments and gone beyond their commitments. And so that's exciting uh, to see that. And most everybody else is on track with their uh, pledged commitments. But let's talk about what we're talking about here. And again, that's a personal point of application. Every week I'm giving you homework, okay, on prayer. So that's a, that's a, that's a prayer homework. You're, if Grace Point's your home, how can you be a part of the future and lay, helping to lay that future out? Uh, then pray about that. But here's something I talked about last week. Ask you to put a grid together. Maybe put in the back of, of your follow me study if you're going through that. And then kind of write out, here's a date of a, of a prayer that I'm praying and here's the prayer. And then start charting the answered prayer that you get. It's been beautiful. Even this week, had somebody come to me, shocked, surprised, I don't know, a very established Christian that has started this this week and has already found God answering their prayers in a matter of a week. I'm convinced of this, not just because, you know, I've invented something here. I've been practicing this for years. And I've got a year's stacks of journals. So I just grabbed one of my journals this past week and just did my own little, uh, I guess, subjective uh, look at uh, my prayer life over a year and a half period. That's how long I used this, this journal from February 18th, 02 to, uh, to December 8th of uh, uh, 04 is, is, the, is the length of time that I, I used this journal. So for that length of time, I, I looked in the back. Now, again, I use the same format. You see on this side, and I know you can't read this, but you can at least see the ink splotches along here. You see that days I start praying, the simple sentence prayer that I put in there. Pray for it daily, regularly. And if you'll notice on the left-hand column, how many of these are answered? So I went back and I counted just from this journal alone. There are over 70 prayers that I've been praying through that year and a half, nearly two-year period. And out of those 70 prayers, 14, in fact, 76 prayers that I've offered up, 14 of them were unanswered by the time I got to the end of this journal and moved on to the next one. Now, what I'm saying is this. God wants to answer your prayer. We have a church member this week over the course of one week who's already charting this out. I'm convinced, biblically, personally, from my own experience, that God answers prayers. When we put ourselves in alignment with Him, He answers prayers in our life. And we're talking in this series, if you missed us last week, we're talking in this series about a life of prayer. Not do you pray, not is prayer part of your life, but a life of prayer. See, most of us pray like this in waves. Good, we pray. Bad, we don't pray. Or we reverse, reverse that. It's kind of a cyclical thing. We're kind of in prayer and out of prayer. We're, we're hot, we're cold. Listen, let's move past that. I want us to move past that to a life defined by prayer. And that's what this entire series is about. Not erratic prayer, not cyclical prayer, not programmatic prayer where you have to be told to pray. The church calls a prayer meeting. We say, hey, take this home and pray about it. That's a programmatic prayer life. We want you to have a lifestyle of seeking God 
in communion with Him. And how do you do that? So what we're trying to answer, and what we're doing is we're looking at the life of Christ. And the 19 different times that He prayed, we're not going to look at all of them, but we're going to look at a good number of the key ones where we see prayer being a pivotal part. Now what we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 1, you can be finding that. What we're going to look at today in this passage is, I believe, a pattern of prayer. Not a cycle of prayer, but a pattern of prayer where Jesus does this quite regularly. And it's the words that I want to say today that are probably foreign to you, not to your vocabulary. You'll know what they mean, but foreign to your life. Words like silence, solitude, stillness, Scripture. And integrating all of those words together into into this relationship of God and in prayer and life and how life goes together. The word silent solitude doesn't even fit in our vocabulary. We're multitaskers. We carry our phones. I'm up here on the stage with an iPad and, and my phone right here. We don't we don't, we sleep with these babies. When they ding and they beep and they sound and they blow off things at us and they tell us when we're supposed to be somewhere. We don't live well without noises in our life. We have all kinds of squeaky wheels in our life. We can't get away from them. They're a part of a silence, solitude, prayer, stillness. They don't, they, don't, they don't fit in to our fast-paced, hectic, kind of multitasking world. In fact, Gene Fleming said it like this. We live in a noisy, busy world. Silence and solitude are not 21st century words. They fit the Victorian lace, high-button shoes, kerosene lamps better than the age of television, video games, joggers with, uh, with, uh, uh, wired with earphones. Uh, the, uh, we have become a people with an aversion to quiet and uneasiness with being alone. I've had men tell me, I can't be still. I've got to have noise going on. Listen, I'm, I want to call us to a prayer. To a life of prayer where we embrace stillness and solitude. And here in a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to either feel uncomfortable or to take a step forward. Now, when I talk about solitude, I'm not talking about uh, isolation. Isolation, I believe, leads to depression and loneliness. Solitude leads to peace. There's a peace about it. But we're ADD when it comes to God. Attention deficit disorder. We're, we're praying and then we lose track of what we're praying for. We're praying and then we fall asleep. We're, 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 the last thing we put on our calendar is, is a life of prayer. Listen, you've heard the phrase last in, first out. Well, if the last thing on your calendar is prayer, on your schedule is prayer, guess what? The first thing's going to come off is prayer. But we've got to reverse that and make prayer the first thing on our calendar so it's the last thing that comes off of our, out of our life. You got the Bibles open, hopefully, to, uh, to Mark chapter 1. Very short passage of Scripture, very descriptive, but that's typical John Mark fashion, very straight and to the point. But he gives us a quick snapshot into the prayer life of our Savior, Jesus. And so, guys, gals, this is not something that, that if, if it's important enough for Jesus to do, it ought to be important enough for us to do. And so let's just follow along as I read, beginning in verse 35, chapter 1. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went to a desolate place. And there he prayed. 
And we're going to come back and break that verse down bit by bit in just a moment. And Simon, who later becomes known as Peter, and those who were with him searched for him, searching for him. They found him. They searched, hide and seek, where's Jesus? They find him. And everyone, this is what they said, the first words out of their mouth, everyone is looking for you. Now I want you to underscore those words because we're going to come back to those in a moment. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns. This is Jesus' response to them. Everyone's looking for you. We're here in Capernaum. Everyone's looking for you. And what does Jesus say? Let's go to the next town. Let's go to the next towns. I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Now, as we come to this passage of Scripture, I realize again, and I want to reemphasize this, we live where there is so many noises begging for our attention. So many times and schedules and people can insert things into our calendars. We have no control over our lives. We, we get texts from, from somebody that, 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 that this has got to be there and you've got to be there. This has got to happen. It's just like it's a constant calling at us, pulling at us. And we've got to be aware of this. And we've got to be aware of it. Because as this happens, it deprives us of the nourishment, of the faith development, of what we need in a relationship with, with God Almighty. Now hear this. Mother Teresa was traveling in America her last time before she passed away. She actually even went to the White House and met with the President of the United States. And you know Mother Teresa is the one who worked with orphans in Calcutta, the poorest of the poor, and embraced them and brought them into, into safety and education and so forth. An amazing woman, to say the least. But she said this of America. She said, America is suffering from the greater poverty. She said, it's the poverty of spirit. I want to say to this, it's because we can't embrace and we can't live in solace and silence with Scripture speaking into our life. We have a problem because we're too busy. we got too many other things that that is the first thing that gets crowded out. And if you look at the life of Christ, a very full schedule, a very full life. In fact, if you look at chapter 1, he's been healing people, casting out demons. He's got this throng of people around him. His is a very busy life. But even the God of the universe in the expression of the, Jesus the Son, he found time for prayer. He found time for prayer. And so I want to talk to you today because I know that today, if anything, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to try to sell you on something. I, I'm going to try to sell you on carving off, creating margin in your life. I'm going to try to sell you on the benefits of creating margin and space in your life every day where you meet with God. And the very first thing is that very reason is that you get to have, here's the first benefit, you get to have a private moments with God. If you will carve it off, if you will save some time, if you'll create sacred places in your life, you will be able to meet with the God of the universe. Don't get lost in that, Christians. We've been taking that for granted for years. But the God of the universe has removed all sin barriers. All mediators are removed. You don't have to come to the priest, the pastor, to be able to gain access to God. And yet we have all access to God. We can come boldly before His presence, but yet we as Christians don't. 
And I want to call us out today. And I want to say, listen, what we need to look at is look at just the life of Jesus and his life of prayer. And so let's look at some checklists here. And let's make our own little checklist of what we need to have if we're going to have private moments with God. Number one, you've got to have time. You spell love, L-O-V-E, or you spell love, T-I-M-E. Having time for him. Notice this. Where would Jesus get the time? He's very busy. He's a miracle man. He's teaching. He's doing all this stuff. He's raising up the next generation of disciples. He's a very busy man. Where did he find time in his busy schedule? In rising very early in the morning. He made time. He created space, margin in his life. We all have 24 hours in a day. We all have seven days in a week. He created space and margin in his life. Now, I don't know about you, but this is me. I think God's a morning person. I, I just personally feel that way because I know God's 24-hour God. Okay, so you can get, get him in the evening so he's still available. But I'm still saying that I find that he wakes me up, and I, I don't like it, but he, it seems to wake me up. I get greater voice from God. I get greater clarity in my life about 3.30 or 4 every morning. I don't like it. I don't even want to set my alarm at 3.30 or 4 in the morning. I, in fact, many weeks, many days, I don't. I just wake up. And God begins to speak to me. Decisions that I need to make become clearer. Isaiah 50 came to my mind a number of years ago, and it just sealed the deal for me. He awakens me morning by morning. Awakens my ears to listen like one being taught. See, if you don't have time, and I know busy moms, I know busy chasing around kids, I know life is crazy busy, but if we don't create a time, Jesus created Time. He made time. But also I want you to notice this. There's also a place. Jesus went away. He departed to a desolate place. It said in one translation, He left the house. Now listen, moms, dads, teenagers, you may live in close quarters. You may share a bedroom with somebody. You may not have a place. My challenge to you is to find a place, to create a place. To make a place. If you have to get up and leave the house, do what you got to do. But find a place, make it a sacred place with God. You remember last week I even talked about this in Luke chapter 11 verse 1, that Jesus was at a certain place. I'm convinced when you look at Jesus, He's constantly going to a place and He's going there to pray. You find Him many times in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. It was a place of prayer. Where is your place? Where is your sacred place? Where is your place where you meet with God? Find it. Find it in your home. Find it in your living room. Find it in your back porch. Here's some of the sacred places in my life. A hammock in the backyard. I just get underneath the trees and I get out there late at night and I just lay out and I just meet with God. Another place is in the mornings you'll find me in the top right-hand corner on our back patio. If the weather's at all decent outside, I'm there with my cup of coffee. I'm there with my Bible. I'm there with my journal and I'm meeting with God. Nothing fancy about this. If it's cold outside, the weather's not nice, I've got a place, a corner in my study that I just kind of get over in the corner, and there, that's where I meet with God. Or at my desk, that's where I meet with God. Where's your sacred place? Create it. It's not, it's not holy, it's not sacred because it's been anointed with some oil, because somebody prayed over it. It's sacred because of what you do there. That's what makes it sacred. And because I'm doing this, let me show you my most favorite place in all the world. I've traveled to probably 20 different countries. My favorite place in all the world, my most sacred place, is right at the edge of the Victoria Falls where I'm sitting there literally inches 
from the falls. But I get there and I can sit there for hours with my Bible and journal and just seek God. Where is your sacred place? Find it. You need a time. You need a place. And you've got to find that place. You've got to make that time. You've got to make it happen. Number three, you need an atmosphere. What kind of atmosphere did he go to? He went to a desolate place. A desert-like even. Now, you've got to realize, he's in Capernaum. Capernaum's on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. That's not a desert. Okay? He's on the sea, the shore of Galilee. He's, he's, he's right there by water. He's right there in this tropical climate. It's not a desert. He, yet he uses the word desert here. Because what he did is he found a place where nobody else was. He found a place of silence. He found a place where he could get alone and no other noises were there. Listen, you may have to leave all your gadgets and gadgets and your gizmos. You may have to leave them some other place. You may have to turn them off, shut them down. But find that place, create that atmosphere. Listen to what the psalmist said. My soul waits in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I shall not be greatly shaking. My soul wait in silence. For God only. Wait in silence. Chuck Swindoll said noise and crowds have a way of siphoning our energy and distracting our attention, making prayer an added chore rather than a comforting relief. So you need an atmosphere, you need an agenda as well. Notice what he did. He went to pray. He left, he got up early in the morning, he left the house, nobody was with him, he got alone, he got out there, he got, and he had an agenda, he was going to pray. This, this right here gives you a six-week agenda. I'm not trying to sell these things, we're just selling them at cost. This gives you a six-week agenda in your prayer life. It kind of puts you on, and it's simple, I'm telling you, it's easy. Just to get that prayer life started for real in you. And one of the first thing he says in here this week, I love it. Randy Sprinkle said this, Prayer is not incessant talking to God, but unceasing walking with Him. Walking with Him. Number two, the benefit, number one, is that, that, that you have private moments with God. Nobody else is in the room. Nobody else is at the table. Private moments with God. Number two is you have protected time from the world. We all need to get away from this crazy, insane world. If your schedule's always full, you are a crazy, insane individual in a crazy, insane world. Let me, let me illustrate this this way. Lori and I, one of the things we like to do whenever we can, we don't do it often enough, but we enjoy deep sea diving. And here's some, just some of the photos that we've collected just under the water. You like our hair standing up there as we're at the bottom of there. Otherwise, it's just a, you know, when you consider that most of the world is actually underwater, it's just amazing to go where the rest of the world is and just to be a part of that for, for some moments together. And as, as, you're de- as you're under the water, it's just beautiful and life and it, it just is encouraging to be there and to see God's creation. But they teach you this in diving 101. They teach you that whenever you are under the water, your, your, your blood takes on nitrogen that you need to offload or off-gas that nitrogen. It's not good to go back to the surface. In fact, they literally train you to stop at a safety stop, or what some people call gassing off, 
where that nitrogen leaves your systems and you hang out there for a length of time and you watch yourself and then you surface to the top. And if you don't do that, literally, you may find yourself in a decompression chamber. You may find yourself dead. I mean, it's that serious whenever you're surfacing. We live in this world. We take on gases. We take on fumes. We take on things. If we don't have times, safety stops, gassing off times where we let that world out of us and we're going to live dangerously in this world and injure ourselves greatly, our souls, our families. And guess what? It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to take it. If you notice the passage that we just read, notice that Simon, again, the aggressive Simon Peter that he was, he was searching for him, it says. That means to pursue with hostile intent. And so it's like Simon woke up in the morning. Where's Jesus? And he just starts looking around. Where's Jesus? We've got to find Jesus. Everybody says, where's Jesus? And who is it? The first one out, out the door. It's Simon. And he's searching for him. Listen very carefully to this. The world right now is searching for you. Your busy schedule is searching for you. When you create space and pockets and sacred places in your life and atmospheres and times with God, this world will come after you and it will search for you and it will long for you. And it will not let you find that sacred rest and that sacred moment. Just be abundantly aware that I've learned this a long time ago as a pastor. If I'm available all the time, I'm not worth much when I am available. I have to pull aside. I have to back out of life and the world and I have to escape, if you will, go off radar, turn off the phone. Verse 37, because how many of this, how many of us can attest to this? Everyone is looking for you. Parents, if you make the commitment that you're going to have a time alone with God, your kids are going to have more emergencies in your life, in their, in their life, that will become in your life whenever you make this commitment. Listen. Not every cry is an emergency. And the best thing you could do is to train your children, this is my time. And unless you're bleeding, dying, or the house is on fire, then you need to take care of it. I'm just being honest with you. Because everyone in the world is looking for you just as they were Jesus. And if you don't guard it, if you don't get away, if you don't find that isolation, what we do is we create our own havoc. See, God designed us this way. God designed us. Look in the perfect world when Adam and Eve used to walk with, with God in the cool of the evening. He created us for communion. But what we've done is we created chaos. You don't believe me? Read Ecclesiastes 7.29 with me. Read it out loud. God made us plain and simple, but we've made ourselves very complicated. How much mess do we create in our own lives? By listening to all the noise and the bells and the whistles, and we don't take time to pull aside and to be separate. Let me give you my three keys to creating that safety spot, okay? Okay, these are mine. You can write your own. But one is you've got to resist. You've got to be able to say no. Control your life. Control your schedules. And say, this is my God time. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save it and I'm going to protect it. It's my time with Him. Billy Graham has had more influence 
on global leaders than any. Listen, I'm not. Uh, you you prove me wrong. Give me one other name. Uh, you prove more global leaders than anybody else in history. I'm inside Christianity, outside Christianity. He has spoken around the world. He has been an advisor and a prayer partner to every president since Eisenhower. And since he can't travel now, now presidents go to him. But early on in his ministry, he received a call one time from President Eisenhower. And he refused it. He refused it and it kind of chaffed the president a little bit because whenever he calls him back, uh, Billy Graham calls him back, he asks him, why didn't you take my call? And he said this, Mr. President, I'm sorry I couldn't take your call at that time. I was actually in prayer. And I figured if the President of the United States was calling me, I'd better finish my prayer time with God before I give him advice on any matters. What if we all approached our business, our education, our families in the same manner, our decisions in the same manner. God, I, I can't make that decision. World, I can't come right now. Children, I'm better if I have time with God and I resist this world. Number two, relax. Relax. Find, find refreshment in His presence. Notice this passage a couple chapters later in chapter 6. The apostles returned with Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, I mean, so the disciples had been out working. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Rest a while. The very word he uses here that he went to a desolate place, now he's using it again. He's calling his disciples away. For many are coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. How many of y'all don't even have time for breakfast in the morning because you're going to rush out the door? We live like that. Plates are full, our calendars are full, and went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Listen, if Jesus needs to do it and His disciples need to do it, you're no different, and neither am I. Number three, when you're there, reflect. Examine yourself. Listen to the voice of God. The still, small voice of God. Henry Nouwen said this, and I love Henry Nouwen. He said, solitude has been called the furnace of transformation. I know that if you leave here today and I just say amen and send you out the door, you're going to allow this world to come back on your plate. So what we've done in this service right here, right now, is we're carving off some time. And we're going to be still. And we're going to find silence and we're going to find solitude. Now, here, here's your, it's, it's, you can do what you want to. You can ignore me and you can go on about thinking about work on next week's calendar and work on your to-do list, your shopping list. You can do that if you want to. It's your time. Or you can come in front and pray. You can sit there right where you're at and bow your head. You can reflect on the verses that I've just read. You can reflect on the verses that are going to be on the screen. This is your time. We are building it into the service for silence, solitude, and prayer. If you don't find it, this world is going to come eating at you, knocking at your door. The world is looking for you. Stop. Enter in to silence and solitude right now.
We don't like stillness. It makes us uncomfortable. We don't like solitude. But the longer you can be there, the sooner you embrace it and clear away the other voices, the other noises, the sooner you'll hear God. How if I if I had a dime for the number of times that people said, How do I know God's voice? How do I know his will? How? <laughs> if I had a dime for that, I'd be a millionaire. But they want to know a quick answer. They want it now. And I want to say, be still. Wait. He'll make it clear if you'll just dwell there long enough. Which, which brings me to the third benefit of creating space and margin in your life is it gives you a purpose. It's renewed and you can, okay, this is what it's about. This is where I'm going. This is what it's, this is the beauty of it is even that Jesus, the son of God, perfect in all, in every way. Listen to this. He got away. He had time alone with God. He shut out the world. And then when he came out of that moment, he knew what he was about. He knew where he was going. He knew it all. It became clear to him at that point. See, as one person said it like this, I don't know who to give it credit to. He says, we can do more than pray, but we can't do more until we pray. We have got to put prayer first. And then after that, we come out of that and we're able to do so, so much more. Again, if you go back to that passage that we just read, and maybe you still got your Bibles open there, you find Jesus in his reaction. You find Jesus and all the disciples are, Simon is saying, everyone's looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. Where were they at? They were in Capernaum. He says, everyone's looking for you. And what is Jesus' response? He doesn't even acknowledge it. He said to them, let us go on to the next towns. Now, in some people's mind, hey, you got a big crew here. you got a big following. you got everybody's listening to you. You already, kind of already got your network going here. Don't go anywhere else. And Jesus says, it's time to go to the next town. He didn't even respond to the crowds of people. Why did he do that? That I may preach to these also. For that is why I came. And he went out through all Galilee, and he preaching there in the synagogues and casting out demons. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, in, in, in Luke's rendition of this, it says, I was sent for this purpose. He had a clear purpose about what he was about. Because he pulled aside, because he got alone, because he had a place, because he spent time in prayer, it renewed the vision for what he was about. He could do more than prayer, but he didn't do as much until he prayed. Listen, my challenge to you is this. Give God one hour, one hour of every day. Give, give him one day out of every week. Give him one week out of every year. In silence, solitude, and scripture. And watch your life get clarity and purpose for the rest of your life. The beauty of being with Him. is you get to step out of those moments and live on mission. 
Now, this is a church that's calling everyone to be in prayer for the next six weeks as we move forward. But it doesn't mean we're just six weeks of praying and then we're done. No, it's six weeks of being a lifestyle person of prayer so that as we move forward, we'll move forward in God's mission on His time and in His place. It's not about the building. It's about the mission of what God's called us to. It's about His mandate. And we have a team right now on the ground in New York City, just to give you a, a, a perfect case point. And they're on the ground in New York City. We've got Eric, we got Philip Becker, Eric Roberts, we've got Philip Becker, uh, Randy, and uh, Corey Wagahoff. And just, just on the ground in Harlem, reaching out to West Africans. I want you to get to know Chris Clayman because Chris Clayman is a church planner that we're working with that there, and we help support through your missions giving and through your uh, giving to our, our ministry budget, is we're helping support Chris on the ground, and now we're on the ground with him. In the past two years, they've seen two conversions to Christianity of these West Africans. It is very difficult 